What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of week again, everybody. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. How is everybody doing? Of course, I guess it's a semi-rhetorical question because I can't hear you answering me, but we can see you typing for all you live listeners. We hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us live or if you're listening to the episode after the fact, we're happy to have you with us. We did take the week off last week because my esteemed co-host had a, a birthday last week. And granted, we actually, aside from you getting the birthday off and much deserved week off, John, um, we've been putting in a lot of work here too. So I think we both needed a little bit of a week to unplug, but how was your birthday? Happy belated birthday, my friend. Birthday was good. And so I realized the fact that I'm 24 and I'm old as hell, Um, but you know, it's all relative. (laughs) What I wouldn't give, what I wouldn't give to get me back to 24. Uh, well, I, I, you were telling me a little bit before we took the air what you did for your birthday. Uh, but what I don't know if you want to tell the listeners kind of how you celebrated and what you did. Um, I'm sure they'd love to hear it. Yeah, this is this is not a sponsored plug by any means, but if you're in the, if you're in the general Cincinnati area, there's a new brewery that just opened up called Third Eye Brewery. Um, try the milkshake IPA. I know it sounds crazy, but it's insane and incredible, and it's not your traditional IPA. And there's this burger that. I heard about this place like a week before my birthday. My friend said that he went there and he said he had a gourmet Big Mac. Now, like I, I enjoy a good Big Mac here and there, but a gourmet, like I like how much can you embellish like the quality right. and the aesthetic of a Big Mac? And they did a fantastic job of that because it does taste like a gourmet Big Mac. So if you want a burger and a, 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 a nice untraditional type of beer at a place that definitely prioritizes safety and distancing, in a time like this, Third Eye Brewery is the place to go. It was, it was a fantastic time. Yeah, and I know you know some people have whatever opinions on on the the distancing thing and all of that. But hey, if, if you're able to go out and still do something while feeling safe uh, on your birthday, um, in times like these, you know, I, I'm sure that's kind of uh, somewhat of an ideal situation. You get to go out and celebrate, have a good meal, like you said, and uh, spend time with your loved ones, but also kind of feel like you're you're doing things the right way and doing things safely. So happy birthday to you, buddy. Uh, Thanks. It sounds like it was a good one. Um, if you want to, when I'm in town next, if you want to buy me one of those milkshake IPAs, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I owe you one that <laughs> on your I buck, on your buck. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. Uh, for those who maybe saw us uh, on, on Monday, we started kind of a new thing we're going to be doing now that the season is kind of kicking back up. Um, you know, the drafts behind us, free agencies behind us, but now we've got training camp preseason, whatever that may look like. But since that's coming around the pike, we have started a little bit of a, a new weekly thing. Where we're adding a few more episodes, more of the 
news and notes to kick off your week. We've got our deep dive weekly show that we're doing tonight. And then we'll be sprinkling in some listener questions episodes. We usually do those Friday afternoon. So we'll be doing those as well. Kind of getting you back in the groove, getting us back in the groove of covering the Cincinnati Bengals, especially with a lot more on tap here. So good to be back after a week off. And if you haven't yet, there's a couple of new episodes on our channel specifically, as well as the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Matt Minnick just uh, had a very interesting interview with Bengals assistant offensive line coach Ben Martin. If you, it, I really hadn't had much exposure to Coach Martin. And listening to that interview, he is a sharp guy, really sharp guy. Uh, I know there's a lot of questions about the offensive line, so go, but go check out that interview either on the audio podcast channel. We did put it up on our YouTube channel as well, so check that out. Uh, I know uh, Daddio and Hoji just spoke with Marcus Bailey. Um, he was on our program as well a couple of months back. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we had Ken Anderson on our program. So a lot of cool stuff happening within the Cincy Jungle podcast channel and this channel specific, our, our show specifically. So check it out if you can. We appreciate the support. We're going to start off the show. We're going to call a little bit of an audible for those of you who saw what we had planned to talk about a little bit. We were going to talk a little bit about some recent agent polling uh, stuff with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think we're going to scrap that a little bit because there's kind of some more immediate things on the on the front of the stove, if you will. And that is a little bit with AJ Green and Joe Mixon. Start with AJ Green, John. I, I talked about it a tiny bit on Monday with the news and notes, but as expected, the franchise tag deadline has come and gone. AJ Green, you know, presume presuming he signs the the franchise deal and everything, he's gonna play on the one-year deal. I guess in a lot of ways expected, in some ways not. The Bengals do like to hang on to their core players and and to do like to you know, ink their star guys to two and three year deals when they can. Your thoughts on AJ Green playing on the franchise tag officially now, uh, one year only has for now to work with Joe Burrow for one year. I think initially my thoughts were like, how would this be different if this were like a traditional offseason? Like, we would have maybe, I like, I like again, like, I don't know if we would even have even yeah. seen him in, in OTAs and minicamp because I believe he alluded to the fact of not being interested in doing that if you didn't have some type of a long-term extension. Uh, I, I don't know if that would have affected it, but because I think like at the end of the day, this is just a player that has only played nine games in the past two years. He's going to be 32 in two weeks uh, after this deadline has passed. It just seems like looking at the optics of it all, like this is just not an investment that the Bengals were necessarily comfortable taking with all the information at hand. Like, I don't know if, if we can necessarily blame this whole untraditional offseason on this, but it, it, it's smart. Like if you, if you're going to use the franchise tag, you use it on a guy like this, you pay him a top five salary at a, at a position because of his pedigree, because of his track record. But you're just, you're just unsure if the recent durability concerns will continue forward and entering his mid thirties. Now, like there's, I don't think their stance on him has changed. I, I still think they want him to be here long-term, but it doesn't seem like it was a type of situation where I think, up until the deadline, the Cowboys are trying to get uh, Dak Prescott uh, extended and locked in long-term, and I think they just kind of ran out of time with that. I don't think there was a situation like that going on in Cincinnati. I think the, the two sides realized that there was just not enough trust on from one side of the equation, that's the organization side, that they were comfortable in paying him however much money guaranteed if they haven't seen uh, enough recently. But I still think that they value him greatly to, if he is to produce this year and stay healthy, those those negotiations will definitely kick, 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 
get kickstarted in the offseason. I think they're going to try their best to make sure that he doesn't hit the open market if he's worth um, extending next offseason. I, I agree. And I saw recently, I think it was someone that put it on Twitter, I saw the pictures again of what happened to AJ in last year's training camp. And it was just gut-wrenching to see you know him on the sideline. And you kind of had hoped there was going to be a big year ahead of him under Zach Taylor. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Unfortunately, John, I think since, what was it, 2018, he's played in nine games. Um, Just not a lot there. And like you said, with the pandemic going on, the team hasn't had up close and personal contact with him recently to see exactly how things are progressing. Um, I, too, think that the Bengals, if, if A.J. Green has a relatively healthy season, looks like even if he's pretty close to the old AJ, I think the Bengals would like to extend him. I think fans would like to see him extended. I do think the rational fans though, understand the team standpoint here. I mean, it's the, the, the mind's telling you one thing and the heart's telling you another, right? I mean, you'd like just sentimentally, I think you'd like to see AJ green retire as a Cincinnati Bengal. That is potentially in question right now, but I, I do think that the Bengals will try and re-sign him. If this season goes pretty pretty well, I think the Bengals will be, be pretty aggressive in trying to sign him. Now, do you think, John, A.J. Green has come out a number of times, soft-spoken guy, never really rocks the boat, especially through the press. He said he would like to stay in Cincinnati long-term. He's, he's taught, said that a number of different times. Do you think, though, that not coming to an agreement right now, do you think that secretly there may be a little bit of animosity or do you think that it's still same old AJ, his approach is the same and he's still going to be willing to negotiate with the team long-term. I know we don't have that necessarily that inside scoop, but just gut feeling. I I don't think that the Bengals came into this thinking like, okay, we're not going to give him what he wants and we're going to, have him use that as motivation to go off this year. I think that would be what they would want. They would want him to utilize this as motivation, but I don't think it was done in bad faith like that. So I don't think that AJ, who's basically the most practical and, and sensible superstar that you can ever imagine, which is perfect for a guy who plays in Cincinnati. Like he's from the start in December. He said, you know, I would like to get a long-term deal done. Yeah. If, if, if I get tagged, I will play on the tag. I believe he's, by saying my life will kill me if I turn down and deny dollars <laughs> into our bank yeah. account. Um, like all indications say he's going to play on the tag, so that doesn't really put a lot of pressure on the Bengals to, I guess, come to a deal before the deadline, which is really just what it, it just didn't happen. I don't think they're ever going to budge because the situation hasn't changed. He hasn't given an opportunity to prove in some type of a um, organized activity and practice that he is fully healthy again and he is going to be healthy for the rest of the season. Like it's not like they could have realize that in, in any capacity because the season hasn't even started yet, but it just doesn't seem like there's enough things to happen for them to change their stance. And no matter how much AJ wanted this, the circumstances were just going against him. So this is the deal. Now he's got motivation. He's on a one-year deal. He's got the opportunity to get one final contract for the remainder of his career, but the odds are against him. He's a 32 year old receiver with, with a damaging injury pass, but he's still talented enough to be productive for one final contract. So all the stars and, are lining here. He's got a better quarterback now playing for his team. So this is his opportunity. And I think Bengals realized that he's got enough motivation to cash in one final time. 
So talking about the new quarterback, Joe Burrow, talking about A.J. Green on a one-year contract, I guess in a, in a weird way for a guy that's had a Hall of Fame-like career, a prove-it year for him beyond 2020, your gut feeling on how A.J. performs this year, do you think the injuries continue? Do you think that with a possible improved quarterback play, more, uh, more accuracy on deep balls, more weapons around him to take some heat off of him, do you think he shines? Do you think he plays most of the season? Or are we going to see kind of a half a season, you know, some explosive games, but the injuries continue? That's really is the one question. I have no doubt if he's 100% healthy, he's going to be A.J. Green. We've seen nothing that indicates any type of slowdown, at least this year. I think going forward, two to three years down the line, that's where the concerns come in. And that's where, obviously, the hesitation to give him that deal comes into play. In 2020, if A.J. Green is 100% healthy, he's going to be dominant. He's going to be the same guy that we've always seen, and primarily because this quarterback is better. If he's been able to be this productive with a middling average quarterback in Andy Dalton and be able to carry that offense, now he's got a receiving core that can help him go through go through the motions. Whatnot. And even if he's not 100% healthy, even if he's just 90 or 80%, he doesn't have to push through any of that because he doesn't have to know. Before, without him, the passing offense was depleted and just mediocre at best, and you just had to put everybody on his back and go for it. That's not normal for your number one receiver. Your, your franchise quarterback is usually not a wide receiver, but that was the case of the yeah. Bengals in the 2010s. That's I, that's hopefully not the case anymore because you have Tyler Boyd. Even as a rookie, you still have T. Higgins, who's talented, and John Ross, who's also playing in the contract year. The quarterback will change a lot of things, and Joe Burrow, even as a rookie, will, will be an improvement over what we saw from Andy Dalton last year. That's going to be the biggest factor in A.J. Green, continuing to be A.J. Green even at this age. But if he's healthy, he's going to be good. It's just a matter of if he's going to be healthy. We just don't know. The Bengals don't know, and that's why we're here now. Yeah, Dave Lennox in the live YouTube chat says, what if John Ross balls out this year? I mean, that's one of the questions, John Ross in a contract year as well. But I, I mentioned this a little bit on Monday. I didn't go into great detail, but the Bengals do have a little bit of an ace in a hole in the hole with T. Higgins. You mentioned his name, John. I mean, T. Higgins seems to be very, very talented, Chances are he's probably not going to have the Hall of Fame type of career that A.J. Green has had, but we don't know. I mean, he could. He's a very talented wide receiver. Uh, these are the types of pieces of leverage the Bengals could use if there are some injuries to A.J. Green again or he doesn't perform to the level of previous years. Uh, I, you know, John Ross, I, I think that's part of the equation, but I think like, like uh, even to a further extent, of AJ, I don't think you can hang your hat on really what's going to happen with John Ross. You'd like to see, you know, we sit here right now and we'd like to say, you know, big year for John Ross in a contract year, big year for AJ Green in a contract year, but I just don't know that you can hang your hat on that based on the injury history. And, and with all this said, like if if an extension was never going to happen, if they were just never going to convince themselves that they were going to give him this extension. If they were offered a first round pick from last year, the, turning that down just looks more and more questionable at this point. I, I just don't know how you can justify turning down that type of compensation in, in, in instead of this reality where they're just keeping him for one, for one more year and just having an unsure future uh, of his future in Cincinnati at this point. Like if if they weren't ever going to get an extension and they were they were able to get a, a rumored offer of a first round pick, it makes it look more and more suspect. But if they weren't, you know, maybe this investment or this direction will pay off soon. But I, I just can't I can't get that out of the back of my mind, despite understanding the the logic and the reasonability of of this decision yeah that was yeah that, that rumor seems 
eons ago, doesn't it? Right. Uh, <laughs> based on what's happened overall in 2020, but the offseason the Bengals have had as well. Uh, it just seems like so long ago that that rumor hit. But uh, you're right. Hindsight is, is 2020 there. Well, let's transition from A.J. Green to another star player on the Bengals offense, Joe Mixon, because Joe Mixon is also entering a contract year, and he is one of the guys that the Bengals have seemingly engaged in some talks with a contract extension, what that may look like, we will see. Now there's a couple of facets. There's multiple facets at play here. AJ Green not getting the multiple year deal and how his franchise tag number affects the salary cap for 2020. And then obviously if you're going to re-sign Mixon, what that looks like for beyond 2020. There's also, as you told me before we took the air, Derek Henry, agreed to a, a new deal. And then as we all heard, I believe it was yesterday, someone brought us, brought it to everybody's attention that uh, I think it was Adam Schefter that the running back free agency class in 21 is loaded. So how do you see some things playing out here? I think personally, I think the Bengals are going to try and get this deal done this summer with with Joe Mixon probably on a two to you know maybe tack on two years to the current year he has and spread that money out that's my opinion they seem to want to do that they like to pay their star players but they like to keep it manageable that's my opinion I know a lot of people don't like paying running backs but I think that's that's what my gut is telling me at this point how do you see this kind of playing out given all of those facets we mentioned Let's go back to, I guess, optics here because so, you know, us armchair GMs, we just think about just the, the pure practicality of paying for talent, paying for value, and what a guy does on the field. Of course, whenever you bring up the argument of paying Joe Mixon, fans immediately go to, well, he's more than just a running back. You know, he's a catalyst in the locker room. He's an energizer. He's, he's, the, he's a, a prominent face of the franchise. He's one of the most popular, maybe the most popular player on the team from in the from a fan base perspective he's done a great job of turning his image and his life around in Cincinnati he's done all the right things I think when you look at a Derek Henry type of contract you know you feel happy for him because he also did all the right things and earned that deal based off of what he did in his rookie contract so I, I think now with AJ Green still you know hanging in the balance this future in Cincinnati the Bengals look at Joe Mixon they're thinking okay you know this if we do come to an agreement here, we get him on the, on the books for four more years. That's at least some type of a, a PR win for us to know that, hey, you know, we recognize what the fans want this. This is something that will, that, will, that will do good for us. It's something that we do care about. We do still care about paying our star players because Pascal Beers put that, like I guess, in reasonable doubt. So there's there's optics for a deal to happen there. Obviously, they still value him as a player because that's what Duke Tobin definitely confirmed this offseason. That, again, feels like ages ago when that was still a talk but also with Mixon, he, he he's got to like obviously anytime you know a, a player of the, the same position gets paid that does well for that player's market so obviously Mixon loves seeing henry get paid but also like you said that takes one more name out of the 2021 free agent running back class all that's left is leonard fournette dalvin cook aaron jones alvin kamara philip Lindsay, marlon mack Kenyon drake and even todd Gurley. so the less names in that pool all with, with Mixon, the the more leverage he has in terms of making bank uh, to, in, in next year's free agent class, because as we've seen, a saturated market in one position, cough cough, Andy Dalton doesn't do well for your market, especially if you don't if you're not the best player at that position. So I think the Bengals see Joe Mixon and think, 
this is a deal that we can get done. We, we're more confident in investing our future in a guy who's younger, who doesn't have a lot of injury concerns, but is also a fan favorite like in AJ Green. So they would consider it, I think, a PR and marketable marketable win, which is, I think, what the Panthers saw in Christian McCaffrey as well yeah. after the season that they had. But also it's like, okay, we weren't able to get a deal done with AJ Green. Let's give the fans something else that they wanted in a Joe Mixon extension. So I see Bungle Fever in our live YouTube chat says Mixon can't block. I like him, but that's a problem. Um, I think he's not paying the block. He's not, yeah, exactly. Uh, But, I mean, you do ask your running backs to block, especially when you have so many shortcomings on the offensive line. Unfortunately, that's – that's quite a bit of the large – a large chunk of Gio Bernard's role has become pass blocking on third down instead of being a viable weapon in the passing game or the running game because they need extra help because of the issues up front. And he he actually, for his size, is a very stout blocker. Uh, Mixon is not good at it, but he – I saw a little bit of improvement. What that makes him, I don't know. I don't know. But I so my, my, my thing, my stance with this is – I would like to see, in a lot of ways, Joe Mixon be re-signed for the Bengals if the deal makes sense. And if it's not, you know, you mentioned a four-year deal. To me, that's too long. I think if you if you add on two years to the one year he currently has here and you have him signed for maybe three years, two years, and the, and the cap hit is manageable, I could live with that because of what he does on offense, both as a receiver and a running back. And in the first year of his career, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, mileage put on the on the tires, so to speak. Uh, you know, he, he was kind of sparsely used. And then since he's been the latter half of that year on, he's been used quite a bit more. The You know, the, the thing with Derrick Henry and the correlation between he and Joe Mixon and Joe Mixon getting a deal, you know, Derrick Henry to me was a major, major reason why that Tennessee Titans team made the AFC championship game last year. Now their offensive line was very good. uh, And Ryan Tannehill played surprisingly well, but I think Tannehill played well because he was able to lean on that run game quite a bit, set up play action and make a lot of plays. If you, if you go back and watch him, a lot of those plays were, you know, deep balls off of play action and whatnot. So I think the offensive line and the running back were really big catalysts to the Titans run last year. Some people may look at Mixon, John, and say, you know, this team isn't going to the playoffs and isn't winning playoff games when Joe Mixon is here. Why would you pay him the money? Why don't you use that elsewhere? I know you're in the camp a a bit of, you know, re-signing Mixon maybe isn't in the best interest of the team. You like the player, right? So where do do you stand in some of these things I'm presenting to you here in terms of the Derrick Henry-Joe Mixon correlation? Right, like – there's it's all funny games to talk about how valuable Joe Mixon is from a tangible and intangible standpoint. The fact of the matter is, no matter how good he is, he doesn't really make the Bengals that much better from a win-loss perspective. Like he's never been a part of a winning team with the Bengals. And even in the games that he's played well, they've lost plenty of those. Like the the inherent value that any running back has is just marginal. It's replaceable. It's it doesn't come in comparison to that of a quarterback or really most other positions on offense. With with Derrick Henry yeah, there was there was definitely value to him, and there was just little to no value when he couldn't match what Patrick Mahomes did with the Chiefs' offense, and that's, that's ultimately why they end up losing the AFC Championship game to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Um, my whole thing, though, is like, what it, what really is this market right now? Because Christian yeah. Cavalry signed for sixteen million a year, I think thirty six total, 
and guaranteed. 30 of that is fully guaranteed. That eclipsed the Ezekiel Elliott deal, which is about the $15 million mark. Derek Henry now, I think, is 12 and a half per year. And the first two years, I think he's getting uh, $25 million fully guaranteed through 2021. So it's essentially just a two-year $25 million deal, which is it's the, the, the same um, annual average annual value. So I don't know exactly what this deal does for Mixon because Henry is now like he, he's he's basically on the bottom tier of like the, the of the top tier in terms of the highest salaries. But then there's a big gap after him goes down to like Kenyon Drake and Melvin Gordon who are about eight million a year. I always pictured that Mixon deal would be between eight to twelve million, and I don't know if he sees Henry now and thinking, okay, I want this to be the, to be the floor. I don't know if the Bengals budge with that, especially with how much guaranteed money that Henry's making. Um, and, and, and even that, like he's not making that much compared to like the Elliots and, and the McCaffrey's as well. But I, that's always been like the main question mark with, with with Bengals contracts. Like even when they spend a lot on DJ Reader and Trey Waynes, the guaranteed money is still manageable, at least relative to how much total money that they're getting. So the market for running backs right now is very weird. I thought there was going to be some type of a hard reset because the, the market was just dry, but then McCaffrey ended up breaking the bank. And now Henry's kind of in that 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 tier just below it. So I, I don't know where the market is now. I don't know what this market does for for the, the, the extension talks and negotiations negotiations with Mixon. But if, if he eclipses Derrick Henry, I just don't think it's a smart deal for the Bengals compared to what they could do with that money elsewhere. Right, and I don't know if the Bengals how many of their cards they show during from a lot of indications it's not many but i don't know how many cards they show during the negotiation process but i think it's kind of also well known john aside if the guaranteed money thing is not in their corner in terms of keeping or getting high priced free agents the thing that is in their corner is they have a track record of signing guys to lucrative deals and not cutting them before it's done uh, you know, there, there are teams that they sign these huge deals. These guys get hurt and they don't play well, what, what have you. And they cut bait out of that contract early. The Bengals usually don't do that. Drake Kirkpatrick was a major exception to the rule this year. Uh, and even he hung around maybe a year or two longer than a lot of people would have liked to have seen, but we've seen players play out th- their contracts. So maybe if you see if, if Mixon is using the Derrick Henry contract as a barometer um you know maybe the Bengals kind of say you know we're we're more akin to having you see that contract all the way through as opposed to uh derrick henry i i don't know that they would openly say that but there's a track record there is what i'm saying but but i also think that that would be better for running backs in general if they were if they were able to have guaranteed money throughout the entirety of that contract instead of just having it stop halfway through it would give them more security and i think give them more incentive to take something that's more manageable from a salary cap perspective like if you, if the Bengals were to offer mixon four years for like 30 million and have like 25 of that guaranteed or maybe even all 30 guaranteed so it doesn't give the Bengals an out like three years or four years into the deal it gives mixon protection security to see the entirety of that deal to see the entirety of the guaranteed money that's that is on par with the Elliots and the Caffrey's but also allows them to be more manageable from a salary cap perspective I think that's the best for both sides but it's hard to say to tell Mixon hey take this Melvin Gordon money when he believes in his heart that he's up there with the Henry's and the Elliots of the world yeah I, I still think that the Bengals at least very hard very 
uh, diligently attempt to re-sign Mixon to something this offseason, uh, to some form of an ox- extension. I think I think it happens uh, to the chagrin of some, to the delight of others. I don't, you know, I don't know whatever camp a lot of you may be in, but I, I just they like to hang on to their core players. And if, if for me, if they weren't going to give this long-term deal to an AJ Green. I think this money then may may go to Mixon. Not not to say they can't extend Green in the future down the road if he if he performs, but I think you know they they do like to hang on to some of their core players before they hit free agency. And a lot of times when they do that and they sign these guys, John, you look back at that contract and you see what happens in free agency in March instead of the, the summer before, and you go, wow, the Bengals actually played that pretty well. They got a pretty decent deal, even though they spent a lot of money. Uh, they got a pretty decent deal to hang on to some of those guys. So maybe that's maybe that's what occurs here with Mixon. But we will see, obviously, the A.J. Green and Joe Mixon scenarios. Very, very enigmatic at this point in time. And the Bengals usually get a extensions done to impending core players uh, that are set to hit free agency. They usually get that done during training camp if they if they want to get that done. So we will uh, definitely keep you up to date on any possible Mixon extension. But for now, Green is playing on the franchise tag. Joe Mixon remains on in a contract year, but we'll see what changes with at least Mixon going forward. Before we get to our soundbite of the week and our potential, so we're going to start a list of a uh, potential 2020 Bengals breakout players. We finished our nine for nine series that John spearheaded, and we are going to move into potential breakout players now that training camp is around the corner as is preseason. So we'll get to that at the end of the show. We'll get to a soundbite of the week, but quickly, we did just to kind of prep everyone properly for training camp and what a roster look may, may be looking like for teams, not just the Bengals, but construction and everything because of the COVID crisis, because of new rules, all of that. Uh, And I'm going to let John take the lead on this because he wrote a good piece on this on on cincyjungle.com. But we wanted to just kind of quickly put this out there for everybody to review so you get a grasp on what the Bengals roster will be looking like as they head into training camp as well as other rosters around the league. Right. So for starters, I think there was some some rumors and inklings about um, the NFL limiting the, the number of players that a team can invite to training camp. So for most teams, they're at 90, 89 players. The Bengals are actually, I think, at 84. And there were some talks about them dropping down from 75 to 80. R- regardless of what that happens there, um, the, the end result by uh, September 4th, which I think is when um, but at four o'clock, teams have to get down to 53 players. All these rules are, are into effect, and it will greatly affect how week one rosters are finalized. There was four main points from the new CBA that I feel like are important to review here. The first one, uh, teams can designate an additional player to return from the IR list each year. So last year, for example, the Bengals designated Darius Phillips and John Ross um, with the return designation on IR now. Um, if, for example, if they were, I think they placed, uh, I think they placed Drake and Patrick on an IR last year as well. Under this rule, they would have been able to have him return if I think if he had was went on IR before we get or whatever, because they, they have to be on there for eight weeks in eight week period. So that's the first thing. Number two, uh, two practice squad players each week can be elevated to the team's active roster, and the a team doesn't have to replace that player on the practice squad. There was a new clause, a new, um, method of elevating practice squad players to the active roster. And essentially it's an easier way to 
essentially replace injured players on the active roster with a practice squad player. Uh, they have to be paid at least for at least three weeks of like the, the vet minimum salary. And they must also carry um, that player on that, on the active roster for, I think at least three weeks. And if a team also like poaches a player from an, an opposing practice squad, they must carry that, that player on the active roster for a minimum of three weeks. Um, and that, there was like confusion as to whether or not uh, active rosters increased from 53 to 55 players, but this is not the case. Like they have to be a 53 unless for just a one week period, you can have two additional players from your own practice squad make up the active roster. So rosters are still 53 players, but they can be 55 for just a one week period. As far as active game day rosters, like the guys who are actually dressed on the 53 man roster, that has increased to 48 with one exception. Teams can activate 47 players unconditionally, but to have an active 48th member, the team must have eight offensive linemen active, which is kind of interesting for the Bengals. Like, I don't know if they're going to have eight of those guys active if it's considered one of the weaknesses of the roster, but that is the one exception to the rule or the one um, requirement for the rule to be enacted. So it's interesting to see if the teams are going to take advantage of that if they have enough offensive linemen to make that work. And finally... Practice squads have ex- have been expanded from ten to twelve players. That's a biggie, yeah. Yeah, from this year and next year, and then it's up to fourteen starting in two thousand and twenty-two. So essentially, things have been upped by a number of two, with a couple of conditions here and there. But yeah, like it's just slightly expanded rosters, given more flexibility on a week-to-week basis, which is big for the Bengals because for the past eternity they've dealt with injuries that has impacted their roster construction. This gives them more flexibility more added opportunities for practice squad players. It also limits, um, I think, how much the team can realistically poach other practice squad players because they have to roster them for three weeks, and that, that'll impact you know who they have to cut and waive, who, who they can get back on the practice squad. And also for that practice squad expansion, you can have, I think, two spots for veteran players that don't have – that have, like – like they, they can be veteran players with however many accrued seasons. Like usually it's just like three or a maximum of four accrued seasons for a practice squad player. Now you have a couple spots where you can just have like an eight year veteran with, you know, a hundred games played or, or whatnot. You can have them on the practice squad. I think you had, I think it's what, like two or four at most spots on the practice squad for players like that. So the, the main thing is, as you mentioned, providing flexibility for teams and teams like the Bengals who, really emphasize the draft rookies, young talent. And this team right now is very young in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, these these practice squad rules and extensions of, of numbers on practice squads really kind of impact the team. A, a team is specifically like the Bengals, I would think. Yeah, like they're always, I think the Bengals specifically are very in tune with taking advantage of, this, of, of these kind of things. Um because they have to, they, they they just had a lot of practice because they've had to elevate a lot of guys off the practice squad to, to, to deal with injuries. Now um, they have the opportunity to, to claim guys, you know, without having to wait behind another team because for the first two weeks they're they're first in the waiver wire order. So they have a couple extra roster spots to work with. I think it, it helps having a lot of because for the past couple years they've kept Maurice Bowringer on the practice squad as like that eleventh extra player. So maybe they'll have yeah. I think this year they have an opportunity to have thirteen guys. So they're still ahead of the pack in, in, in terms of that as well. Um, but yeah, like I, I think this gives an opportunity for a player who we, we might see like a veteran player who, who might be cut, like a surprise cut by the Bengals, but then having bringing him back on the practice squad 
where in years past that was just an impossibility because he had too many crude seasons. He was too experienced. So I think in the Marvin Lewis days, it would have been great to like keep like, you know, Chris Crocker on the practice squad <laughs> instead yeah. of just keeping him on the active roster. But it, it's going to be interesting, like, especially in a year like this, when you have a very limited offseason, not a lot of exposure to some of these young guys, you have an opportunity to keep a couple extra guys that you're intrigued with, but you're not sure, you know, you haven't seen enough of them in, in Bengal stripes to get a good grasp on whether they're worth keeping around. This gives them an opportunity to give them more time to make those decisions. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and also just, like I said, it, it being a young team and they, you know, they may think they know what they have in some of these young guys and then, kind of find out oh, maybe we want to make a change here so uh good stuff we just wanted to bring a refresher to everybody uh so you know kind of what to expect on some of these rule changes for the roster construction not only through training camp but also into the regular season and some rules with that so good stuff john thank you for do, uh, letting us know about that what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the prop g podcast and an entrepreneur myself Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more. And get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Before we get to our soundbite of the week, I want to just remind everybody to get this show how you can on your favorite audio platform, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, the Megaphone app, or iHeartRadio. You can get all of our stuff on our YouTube channel, cincyjungle.com. We do stream live through our own YouTube channel as well as Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. So if you're able to join us, please do for the live recordings. If not, get it after the fact on your favorite audio platform. And uh, we're going to continue bringing you all kinds of different types of episodes and all kinds of different uh, guests throughout not only the off season, but the regular season, we've already got some feelers out for some more potential guests coming down the pike. And we will uh, be sure to get that, uh, get those names to you. As soon as we book them, we'll let you know. So John, let's go to the soundbite of the week. This one is, uh, it feels like every time we've done, we haven't done one of these for a while, but it feels like every time we do them, it has to be Joe Burrow. Uh, <laughs> and it's shocking yet again, it is Joe Burrow. 
Uh, Joe Burrow recently was on Good Morning America on ABC talking about a little bit about his time with the Bengals, his conditioning through through the pandemic, but also a nonprofit endeavor that he is part of. We usually like to keep these clips pretty short. We usually try and keep them under a minute. This one is a little longer. It's about three minutes, but hey, it's Joe Burrow. Let's get pumped about what he has in store and we'll give a we'll give our thoughts after this um the video is courtesy of a tweet through our good friend Bengals captain a lot of you know him jeremy conley uh he embedded the video in a tweet so that's where we are uh getting this one from so we gotta we gotta credit him and uh give him a little pat on the back but here's the video and uh the joe burrow interview as you can see it's about three minutes so give us uh just a couple minutes and we'll talk about it in january our next guest led the lsu tigers to the college football national championship and now he is the number one pick for the nfl cincinnati Bengals. and here to tell us about his preparations for the upcoming season and how he's giving back to his hometown is quarterback joe burrow and first of all congratulations on being the number one pick in this year's nfl dress draft that had to be incredible and now you're dealing with a new normal. The NFL says it's going forward with the new season, but we obviously have a lot of things we don't know. Talk about how you're feeling, how you're preparing for playing your first season during a pandemic. Yeah, it's been crazy. Uh, I feel great right now. I'm in the best shape of my life, and you know everybody around the league is preparing like business as usual. Like we're going to be reporting in a couple weeks and, and getting ready to play. All right, so you're, you're, you're going with that mindset in mind. You won college football's most prestigious award, the Heisman Trophy. In your speech, you mentioned Southeast Ohio and its issues with poverty and hunger. Why was that so important for you to do? You know, growing up here, it's very, very obvious um, that people struggle with this. Um, in Athens County, up to 20% of the people are food insecure. So it's something that is close to me. Um, I didn't expect to say it. I didn't write a speech or anything. That's just what came out, what was in my heart. And it ended up doing a lot of good for people. Yeah, and speaking of that, yes, out of your speech came the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund. Tell us about the fund and how it came together. So after the speech, when I when I mentioned Southeast Ohio, a fundraiser was started on Facebook, and the original goal was $1,000. It ended up, ended up raising over $600,000 for food insecurity. And so after that, the food pantry and the foundation for, for Appalachian, Ohio, teamed up and created an endowment fund. Um, and then they came to me and wanted to name it the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund. And I was super honored and, and excited to, to be a part of something so special. Yeah, how can people help? So you can go to, to the Facebook and, and type in Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund, and, and there'll be a link there. And we already have some great sponsors like Kroger and Bose and People's Bank. Um, and now, you know, when I was in college, I couldn't really help out financially. And now I'm finally in a position that I can help out financially as well. So I'm excited to do that as well. That's amazing, Joe. I'm curious, what do you think football is going to look like for fans? Oh, man, I'm, I'm in the dark just like everybody else. Uh, um, I, can't, I, I can't imagine there would be fans in the stands at the beginning, maybe, maybe a few. But, um, you know, I'm preparing – like I'm going to be the starting quarterback with 100,000 fans in the stands, and, and I'm going to be ready to go. Well, at the very least, they'll virtually be cheering you on in every way, as we are. Joe Burrow, thank you so much for your time. We're wishing you the very, very best, and thank you for all that you're doing for your community. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
in January. So you see there more and more coming out about Joe Burrow's philanthropic nature as the Bengals franchise quarterback. So there, there are a couple of things to dive into. I guess let's start with the football aspects that he mentioned, John, in terms of the what he thinks football is going to look like uh, coming, coming this fall. Uh, and the fact that he doesn't expect there to be a lot of fans, at least not initially, I thought that was kind of an interesting statement. Then, of course, it may be players speak, but he said he feels like he's in the best shape of his life which is really interesting given, I know, you kind of go, well, okay, buddy. All right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of interesting to me to, that he could be, uh, whether or not he's blowing smoke, that he feels as if he is in very good shape, given that he's not really been able to go to professional facilities all that regularly and all of that. So from a football standpoint, I think we'd be hyped up a little bit from him feeling pretty good physically and also kind of saying, what's going to happen? Uh, we get this question every week in our live chats. What's, what's the season going to look like? Is there going to be a season? I, I guess I'm kind of in the camp of what Joe Burrow said. I, I, it's kind of like, yeah, but I don't know what the, what the stadium experience is going to look like. It, it's all one camp. No one knows anything. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a secret circle of, of, of intellectual people that have a good idea and a good grasp of what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen. This is, this is truly unprecedented. That was weird, though. How like the interviewer was like leading on about the funds and everything. I'm like, what's football gonna look like out of nowhere? But um, Joe, unfortunately, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about a hundred thousand fans. Paul Brown Stadium only hosts like sixty five thousand, and based off of the the emails sent to season ticket holders, it'll be about fifty thousand. No, like fifty thousand at most. The first eight rows are gonna be covered with with um with with, with banners or whatever that they have in order to create separation between the fans and, right. the and whatnot. So it, it's you know, I, I, it's fine. Like that he's treating it like that. I, I don't know anywhere, anywhere, el- any way else that you could. But that's just that's just who he is. Like he's always been the the the, the guy to take the utmost in terms of preparation for the unknown and and to try to just expect it, it, expect yourself to do the most, right? Like expect yourself to to be in that that position and to take on what whatever comes after you like he's been through the ringer and, and, and things like that and now he's in a situation where he he is going to be the starter but now he's got another wrench thrown his way like this is this is nothing really new to him um but yeah i think wow seven hundred thousand dollars that's a lot i think that's even that's like two hundred thousand more than what he raised um i think a couple months after the, the speech so it's, it's glad to see that continue to grow and um the partnerships add, adding on to that um all, that organization that funded itself. So good for him. Um, but also from speaking of personal experience, after a few months staying at my parents' house, I'm never really in the best shape of my life because my mom cooks too much. So I'm calm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm calm bull. I'll, I'll say, I'll say this on that, on that front. Uh, you know, I, I do uh, my, my workouts and stuff. And with Jim's closing, I, I will say that it has, it forces one to be creative with their workouts. And, uh, you know, instead of kind of weights and a lot of stuff, you're maybe doing more like push-ups and sit-up type of things instead of some other machines or free, you know, free weights, that whole thing. So maybe that's where his comment is stemming from. Maybe his workouts are different. That's why he feels in the best shape of his life. We should put on the poll though. Does Joe Burrow have at least a four pack? 
<laughs> I'm not sure he ever had any abs to begin with. He just doesn't look like he has the, has the physique to do that. But if he's in the best shape of his life, I expect at least a four-pack out of that guy. Well, I don't think he's ever had abs. Let's hope. Let's get him on the show and ask him about yeah. his abs situation. Uh, the, the other part of it, John, and this is where my mind went, and we'll get to our uh, we will get to our potential breakout players in just a second here. But uh, you know, the Bengals had options and a lot of good ones at quarterback uh, to go number one overall. Herbert was in the discussion. Tua was in the discussion, and obviously Joe Burrow. I do think that all three players will have good careers. At what point do they start to show their talent, and you know how much talent around them will they need? That that's going to be varying between the three guys. But I do think all three have a lot of promise as NFL quarterbacks. The Bengals had a lot of different options, and they went with the hometown kid. And to me, this you know when you hear what he's done with the philanthropic side of things, it was like his immediate platform at the Heisman trophy. He talked about it as the number one overall draft pick going to the Bengals, Ohio kid. He's doing things in Ohio. And now, you know, it, it just, it makes a lot of, if for anybody that had kind of had for some, whatever reason, had any doubt about Joe Burrow, it just, this just makes so much sense uh, from every single level, the talent, the, the incredible performance last year on the field, the local kid, and now he's doing philanthropic work in the state of Ohio. It just makes so much sense. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, it's true. The Bengals value guys who represent themselves and, comp- and comport themselves classy off the field. Unless your name rhymes with Robbie Fart. <laughs> let's, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Next, next segment. Next segment. I, I feel like, I think just with this though, John, as I mentioned, I, I, I just I feel like this is just a really good fit for the for the Cincinnati Bengals, as if it, w- it wasn't already before. Just like you said, though, the 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 fact that the Bengals are ju- they, they're really prioritizing high character and no no more than the the quarterback and their number one overall pick to build their team around. So um, we wanted to share that interview with you though, in case you didn't see it and. Uh, I thought it was very, very, um, very telling about Joe Burrow's character in case you hadn't hadn't seen it. So moving on, let's go to potential breakout players for this week. And we'll continue to do these. We're going to do two each the last, uh, uh, well, probably probably up until the regular season, I guess. We'll, we'll gauge that as we go. But we're going to do two each. And uh, John, I'm going to let you kick it off. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, do you want me to go? No, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I like this. I like this. Um, so I remember doing these last year, and they were mainly guys who were, I think, just entering like the second year, maybe, yeah, mostly the second year players who, you know, showed some good things, but weren't exactly established starters yet. Um, so I'm going to kick this off with something that deviates a little bit from that. A guy who is an established starter on the team, and not only that, but just probably looking at top level money entering a contract year next year. And that guy is Jesse Bates. Um, I, I think about him and his career at this point. And when I wrote his, his, his um, piece for our, our player rankings, which you can find on cincyjungle.com, he was ranked seventh in, out of 25 in our top 25 rankings. So you're thinking, okay, he's already, he's already a really good football player. Like how much more of him can we see in terms of a, a breakout performance? But when I evaluated like the, 
his career up to this point, you can really separate it into like four quadrants. The first half of his rookie season was phenomenal. He was a definite bona fide defensive rookie of the year candidate. He was one of the very best safeties in the league in the beginning of 2018. Even when the defense was absolutely atrocious, ter- defense coordinator at the time, Terrell Austin, got fired shortly after the first half of that season ended. And then after his firing, when Marvin Lewis took over, he had somewhat of an average finish to the year, but still a very good rookie season for Jesse Bates. 2019 was not the same. He was absolutely yeah. awful out of the gate. I think Pro Football Focus ranked him the, the third worst starting safety in the entire league for the first eight weeks of the 2019 season. And it was like the reverse of 2018. He was terrible out of the gate, but he finished very strong. I think he was uh, the 12th best starting safety court for um, in terms of grades from Pro Football Focus for the remainder of the 2019 season. That kind of coincides with the improvement, the gradual improvement we saw on the defensive side of the ball for for the team in general. So his career has been a wild roller coaster, and I think 2020 is the year we finally see some sort of stability in a 16 or however many weeks that they play this season, some type of consistency in terms of the level of play that we've seen at his, at his very best. Now, at his very best, he's a rangy, athletic, instinctive ball hawk of a safety that is great at forcing turnovers. He has six interceptions in his career already. He's on he's on pace to pass Richie Nelson's mark in, in that regard and get up there in terms of the team leaderboard. But, even I mean, interceptions, they, they can – they can always be indicative of true safety play and, and true defensive back play. He's just in the right place at the right time when he's comfortable in whatever scheme and has communication with his guys. With the addition of Von Bell, maybe that creates a better communication and better overall cognitive awareness of the scheme in general. You have the same defense coordinator coming back in year two for Lou Rumo. I think this is an opportunity for Bates to really establish himself as a true top-tier safety, or at least entering that sort of region because he is only 23 years old and this is an opportunity for him to make a lot of money next offseason that the Bengals are so inclined to extend him but this is a big year for him I think a lot of things are going to go are in the position to go right for him but it's just been a lot of inconsistency up to this point I think this is an opportunity for him to break out as a true consistent good safety so the I should have prefaced this a little bit I think maybe we've got some listeners who did listen to us do do this countdown list last year. Breakout, the qualifier of quote-unquote breakout player can mean a number of different things. It can mean a guy who isn't expected to make the roster and does and has at least somewhat of a sizable impact. It's a guy who's stepping into a new starting role and has an immediate impact. A guy who has had injuries throughout his career and steps up and has a big year finally and gets over the injury hump. Or it could be a guy like you mentioned, John, where shot off a little bit of a dip and then a kind of a nice recovery at the end of 2019. So, I mean, are you kind of saying Pro Bowl level type of year? Like like you mentioned Reggie Nelson, there were some Pro Bowl level years there. Are you, are you thinking that type of caliber of a season? Yeah, so someone aligns that. If he makes the Pro Bowl or not, it's, it's irrelevant because the voting system is a little right, 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 but right. like, yeah, I think at his best, he's a he's a has the potential to be a top tier safety. I don't think we're going to see that in, in its entirety. And it's just his third year; he's still really young. But I think we're going to see more of a consistent guy. And it's it's very hard to expect consistency from defensive backs in general. Usually, the, the most consistent guys are typically the, the top tier, as the Jamal Adamses of the world. I don't think he's at that level just yet, but I think the stars are aligning for him to put together his best season thus far. He's at the right time in his career for it, and this is an opportunity for him to make a lot of money next offseason. But 
with his defensive coordinator coming back, the talent around him growing immensely. I think there's an opportunity for a lot of those um, this fan just working against him the last couple of years to really be evaporated and for him to just focus on being the talented player that he is. All right. I like it. Uh, good, good, solid, good, solid start by you. First player out of the gate, Jesse Bates. I'm going, uh, I'm just going to shoot my shot and it's going to be a long shot right away. At least some people may go, what? I'm going to say Mitchell Wilcox, the tight end out of out of South Florida, and a lot of I, I see you raise your eyebrows, John, uh, and I, that's to be expected. I think a lot of people will be like, "What undrafted guy?" Probably to many a marginal tight end. My thing is with him, opportunity. We talked about we we ended the nine for nine positional preview list with the fact that the tight end group is arguably one of the weakest on the team. And uh, there, there could be a, an opportunity for an undrafted guy to come in and not only make make his way on special teams, but be a red zone threat. Have a number, uh, another tight end. One of those we heard Ken Anderson say it a couple weeks ago: having a good big tight end that can catch the ball across the middle and do things in the red zone is a rookie quarterback's best friend. And maybe this is a guy who can who can do that. Last year he had five touchdowns with uh, with South Florida. Um, big kid. And uh, obviously needs to work on some things and, and isn't quite the athlete of some of the tight ends that were drafted in front of him. But, I, you know, with so many question marks beyond C.J. Uzama in the position group, Drew Sample going like this, uh, you know, maybe just this, uh, on the downward slope. I just I, I see a door open for this kid to come in and is he going to be a star? No, but I guess I'm using the qualifier of not expected to make the team as an undrafted free agent, but maybe comes in and is a reserve tight end that makes some plays for this offense, especially with Joe Burrow spreading the ball around. That would say a lot to think about where the tight end group is, I guess, when the season begins. Because we talked about when we broke down the position, uh, whether if they're going to keep three or they're going to keep four. If they do keep four, that a guy like Wilcox is probably going to be the guy that boosts off a, a Mason Shrek. Mason Shrek or Jordan Franks on the roster, but like <clears throat> they just need something there. Like they need some type of athletic presence to kind of stretch the field from that position if they want to incorporate that position there. So, like like you said, that like there is opportunity for him or just any one of those guys who are not CG Zoma and Drew Sample to really make their mark and and take significant snaps of the position that was just so underwhelming for them last year. So, you know, of all the undrafted guys to do anything. Like it's it is a matter of opportunity in terms of the positional quality. So Wilcox is is a decent guy. I'm gonna go with the guy who's also gonna be a rookie this year. Um kind of the forgotten guy at a position that has gotten a lot of buzz this offseason. Akeem Davis Gaither. Like mm. we, we talk a lot about Logan Wilson because he's the first linebacker that, that they drafted. He might get the most opportunity out of the gate, at least to maybe even start replacing significant snaps. We've interviewed Marcus Bailey on the show. He was also in an interview with our friends at DNH Sports. You can check that out on the on the channel as well. He's got a lot of buzz because he's come back from injury and he dropped a lot in the draft because because of that injury he's way really talented. Davis Gaither was a guy that I loved and a lot of people loved in the draft process, but also injuries unfortunately took him down in the, in the draft order. But I think maybe not as a guy that plays you know, 300, 400 snaps on defense. That might not be where he makes his biggest impact this year. I think he has such an opportunity to be a prominent special teamer and earn opportunities to play, <coughs> excuse me, down the line, down the season in, in the defensive injuries at that position kind of uh, upstart or whatever. They have a lot of special team snaps to replace 
in, in terms of Darren Simmons's unit, Tony McRae left and a couple other guys, um, unfortunately moved, moved on this offseason. And there could be guys like Stephen Carter who were special team aces that may not be, that may be bumped from the roster because a guy like Mitchell, Mitchell Wilcox takes this spot because he's more valuable on offense or defense, or whatever position that they play. So Davis Gaither was a phenomenal special teamer in college. I believe he was like a special teams captain or some type of, of, of prominent member of that union at Appalachian state. He's got, he's got the, you know, the motor, he's got the athleticism, he's got the tackling ability to be somewhere in that, in that regard. And that may give him, I guess, this unheralded opportunity and really just elevate himself from, I guess, there's just not a lot of buzz going on with him right now at a position that does need an injection of youth and athleticism. And when you talk about both those things, I think he's the best athlete out of the trio that, at the, that they drafted at that position. He's the smallest, obviously, but size system is just it's not that important at the linebacker position nowadays. I think if they determine a decent role for him on defense, he can has the opportunity to be a top tier player and make an impact on this defense. But I think it starts with special teams and he has an opportunity to carve out a significant role on that union. And I think that could lead to other opportunities down the, down the road this season, especially if injuries kind of pick back up. Yeah. He could be a niche player initially in terms of, you know, pass rush here and there and sub package guy here and there. But I think like we saw with Jermaine Pratt last year, uh, I, I think Davis Gaither will probably see more snaps as the year goes on and um, more responsibility. And I, I think he will shine. I, that's a good one, John. I think, uh, I think Davis Gaither is a, is a good, going to be a good player for this team. And it, it is interesting. He, initially he was the guy that was on everybody's radar because he met with the team and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, they draft Logan Wilson, like you said, and Marcus Bailey's kind of become this, uh, this, fan favorite, if you will, and rightfully so. Uh, so Davis Gaither's kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I, I do think he will be a productive player. So two good ones from you there. I'm going to go with a rookie as well. Uh, and, and this one may surprise some people because it seems as if there are a lot of different players along the offensive line who could be worthy and we'll probably nominate them as, as we go on. But uh, I'm going to go with Hakeem Adeniji. I read something a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of days ago, rather, excuse me, through Bengals Wire, our good friends, uh, good friend Chris Rowling over there at Bengals Wire via Bleacher Report. And it kind of just, there was a lot of little talking points there with Hakeem Adeniji that brought up, brought to my attention, uh, I guess, brought him back to my attention. You know, Jim Turner a few weeks a few weeks ago noted that he thought he was a second round talent. Well, okay, well, I mean, you're going to say that a lot of coaches say that after they draft a guy. Understandable. You go back and a couple of Matt Miller at Bleacher Report basically said, you know, he really likes the fact that he's a veteran offensive line uh, line guy. Obviously, may not be the most talented or most athletic, but kind of a guy that uh, is is ready. He's, he's prepared based on, um, you know, playing so many games at the college level at Kansas. Um, and in looking at previewing some of the, the teams, uh, Brad Gagnon over at Bleacher Report also said that Adenogy might be the team's biggest sleeper in their draft class. Now, I also listened to Matt Minnick's interview with uh, Ben Martin, the assistant offensive line coach. He talked a little bit about identity and the fact, the versatility and, and what they like out of them. You know, that there, there's some questions at, at right tackle. I think I think you uh, mentioned one name a little bit earlier in Bobby Hart. Uh, you know, Fred Johnson, where does he fit in? Um, what's going on at right guard? Uh, there, there's kind of a little bit of uh, some unsettled issues there. And a guy that 
has a even though he's not he hasn't played a pro game he's got a lot of college starts he's got a lot of traits that the Bengals like he could slide in maybe not right away but kind of like what Fred Johnson did at the end of the year last year come into the lineup late in the year end up playing well and that's where you kind of say okay you know this is still a little bit of a shell game where we're still trying to figure everything out on the offensive line we think we have an idea at the start of 2020 but you know we need to find our formula and make sure it's something that we can build on for 21 and beyond. And maybe identity at the end of 2020 is a guy that starts seeing some starting time, some increased snaps. And he's a guy that could really open some eyes and solidify one of the spots on the right side of the offensive line. The, the things that are positive about identity, it's like, it, it's very similar, I guess, to, to Billy Price because Billy Price was also like a 50-game player, and he had durability and had versatility to his game. Um, it, getting drafted in the sixth round, it, it, it says a lot about, I think, who he is right now. Like, despite his experience, he's still extremely raw, and that showed up on tape. But, I, like, it, it's clear that I think Jim Turner likes the fact that the guys that he brings in, they, they, they're not bullshitters, I guess. They, like, they seem to have a, a good grasp of – of the, of the terminology and, and the nuances of, of playing the position. So I think that in, in, in terms of, in terms of that, that, that's a positive for him that he's seen enough that he knows, you know, the, the, the type of development that he has to, on, to, to undergo for, to play whatever position that he, ha- that he has to play the scenarios of identity playing significant snaps this year and the offense line being in good shape. They seem very few and far between, but there is, there is definitely a situation where, you know, you have, a guy in Xavier Suofilo who may or may not work out the right curve spot. You have such an unknown at the right tackle spot. Those are two spots for identity to, to see some type of emergency snaps. And if he just shows to be better than the guys in front of him, that's an opportunity for him going forward to just, I guess, stay in, in that spot and, and go go from there, kind of like what Mike Jordan did last year, although most of that stuff happened in the offseason and how much of a turmoil and mess that was at the left guard spot. So identity intrigues me from, from his athleticism. And the fact that you know he managed to survive football in Kansas for four years and not you know do harm to himself, um, but <laughs> like like honestly, like you know it, it's impressive for anybody out of Kansas to get drafted. Yeah, how much of a mess he had four offensive line coaches. Like, and I don't know how you know I, I believe Matt Man talked about that when I uh, just after he was drafted. Like, how much that affected his development and the fact that why his technique and his overall playing style was so raw in it. That might have something to do with it. If the Bengals can get the most out of it energy, then they have a pretty good and athletic and explosive offensive lineman to work with at multiple positions on that group. But if he does play this year, it, it worries me about the state of the overall offensive line. Yeah. But if he does hit, then he's a guy that you are confident that you know that 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 ceiling is definitely intriguing. Yeah. That's that's kind of where my head's at with it. And, you know, I, I do recognize that, you know, there may be that may be a sign of trouble if he is called upon um, and a sign of a struggling season if he is called upon to, to start. Um, but, you know, if he if he ends up coming in and playing and being being a solid guy coming out of the sixth round, I think, um, you know, and helping out the offensive line in a positive way, I think that'll uh, go a long way. So those are our first four to each of the potential 2020 Bengals breakout players. We're going to keep doing this list throughout training camp and throughout the preseason, give you, um, you know, a handful of guys each that we think can make an impact at varying degrees, whether it's rookies like guys I mentioned that not only could make the team, but maybe 
carve out a, an interesting niche as a, as a first year player, or maybe some more uh, established guys like a Jesse Bates that, that John mentioned that uh, could be sniffing a pro bowl after uh, a couple of up and down uh, parts of 2019. So uh, we will continue this list. Thanks for tuning in and let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you have for us, John? Um, I don't really have anything aside from wear your damn mask so we can get football this year. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, what do you have for us? Because my headphones cut out earlier when you when you made a comment, and I literally didn't hear what you said. So that, that, that's for the viewers to know, and you to never find out. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'll have to rewind and go go back. So I, I apologize. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but. <laughs> um, so the one thing I, I, I guess I failed to mention when we talked about the Joe Burrow soundbite of the week, uh, a, a listener of the show and a guy who's gaining some clout on Twitter, um, it's at the bangle and the number four, at the bangle four. Uh, he kind of based his persona, I guess, on a Marvel comic book character, character called the bangle. Um, he is starting a fantasy football league wherein the winners – of, there's a buy-in to it. I, I don't know all of the details, but go go get at him on Twitter if you're a fantasy football guy and you want to do something with fantasy football that could potentially help uh, a philanthropic cause. He is going to make that the win make sure that the winners of his fantasy football league the money goes to the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. He did ask us for a little bit of an assistance for a, a plug of that. So if you are a fantasy football player, you want some some money to go to a good cause, as you know, this program is very passionate about helping out philanthropic causes. Check Go go hit up at the Bengal and the number four, at the Bengal four on Twitter and ask him about his fantasy football league and see if uh, there's still room for you to get involved there. I, I think he's just kind of creating it, so I think there's still room, but um, we wanted to help him out, get to spread the word, so uh, we are doing that. Absolutely, man. I haven't, I haven't played fantasy football in like two years, though. So, really? Yeah. Like, I, 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 I didn't play like last year. I didn't fill up a I didn't fill out an NCAA tournament bracket uh, in 2019 either. If you oh, okay. So, so I wasn't given the opportunity to do it again this year, and I and I might not be able to get play fantasy football again this year either. But I don't know. It's just like, 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 do you play fantasy? I, I do. Uh, I, I I always joke. I'm either the absolute worst player in the league, or I win it. And uh, I am usually far more far more often the former than the latter uh <laughs> but um yeah i i do play um unfortunately so, you know life sometimes gets in the way in terms of paying attention to regular roster maneuvers and stuff but i do play i, I like i didn't i didn't play at all last year but they're like you know um, i'm sure you get this too there's still people that come up to you and say hey, oh who should i start like i just because i write about football doesn't mean i know anything about who's gonna do good in fantasy this week all right Right. I, I get that same. Yeah. And I, I throw out the, the same disclaimer. Yeah. I, that's why I ask other people. <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I don't pro profess to be the, the fantasy football expert. I know enough to be kind of dangerous and I think I, I draft well every year, but then, you know, the, the standings often say otherwise. So yeah, is what it is. Well, thanks, John. Happy belated birthday. Once again, glad you, you enjoyed yourself and um, thanks for your contributions this week. We'll, we'll try to do listener questions this Friday. I don't know if you're available, John. I probably should have asked you before we took the air, but uh, 
we will try and do that this week if not this week the next and it'll be on friday so uh we'll be sure keep keep your eyes peeled to cincyjungle.com its facebook page and our youtube channel to, to see when we're going live with some listener questions we'll let you know how to get in touch with us to, to submit questions to be answered on air so um, we'll be doing that in the near future thanks for tuning in everybody get the show on itunes stitcher spotify google play megaphone Get it on iHeartRadio, CincyJungle.com, our YouTube channel. Get all of the Cincy Jungle podcasts that are on its channel and download them how you can. Thanks for your support. John, see you next time, buddy. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.